What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red Gold Standard Podcast here on 49ers Hive. My name is Zach Hernandez. I'm joined always by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how are you doing today? What's going on, Zach? What's going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Man, we're going to have an interview coming up later in the pod. I'm really excited, Zach. Why don't you tell us who it is? Yeah, guys, I was thrilled to be joined by Mark Schofield of USA Today's uh, Touchdown Wire, and he was a fantastic guest. We had him over on our YouTube channel, so make sure you guys go and check us out. If you have not, hit that subscribe button. Be sure to hit it now. Uh, We are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers, so search us on YouTube, 49ers Hive, and check out this interview. But for all of you guys who tune in in podcast form, we wanted to make sure we got it out because it it was just that good, to be frank with you. He was a fantastic, very, very knowledgeable guest, Um, and we think you guys are really going to like the the content that he he provided. But first of all, we do have a little bit of breaking news, Anthony. Uh, Earlier today, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reported that Travis Benjamin was going to be opting out of the 2020-2021 NFL season. Uh, Did that take you by surprise? A little. The reason why it surprised me is because here's a guy you have in Travis Benjamin who was already probably a fringe roster player. And going to this decision, I don't know if it's for him, it's like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to make the team to begin with. COVID's going on. I care about my safety. And I also care about being on the team or not being on the team. So I'm going to bounce. I'm going to not take the risk. I think he's uh, paid out $150,000 that goes on to the Niners' salary next season. So the guy's going to cut from this season, be safe, still get his money, and that's it. It sucks because I wasn't too sure if Benjamin could have made the roster. But at the least, he would have been a really nice uh, camp guy to watch because he has a lot of experience. He was really good with the Chargers. And he brings a good return game to the team. He's also a not like a Marquise Goodwin deep threat, but he is a deep threat. And this team, quite frankly, doesn't necessarily have that on the team. So Benjamin was a guy who a lot of people thought could have been, oh, a sleeper, wide receiver six on the team. But again, there's a lot of guys on the team, a lot of very good young talent. Benjamin, I think, was 30, 31. And maybe he just didn't see that he had a chance on top of wanting to be safe. So I respect it. He's getting his money and he's calling it a season. Yeah. So just touching on what you said there, he's not, uh, he is getting the $150,000 for opting out. However, that is essentially like he's borrowing against his future pay. So he is still under contract for the 49ers now in 2021 um, with that money already being paid out to him. And it kind of caught me by surprise. I'm not going to lie. More so in the fact of I wasn't really expecting it, but I don't know much about Travis Benjamin outside of his play. I don't know him as a person. You know, he's barely been on the 49ers for a couple of months now, so I haven't really gotten to know him as a player or uh, any, any sort of indications that I've seen of him that want to opt out. But you just got to respect anybody who puts their family first, um, and their health and safety first. You, there's no way that you could be mad at that, and um, you know you just gotta respect his choice. And I, I honestly think that the main way that this is gonna hurt the 49ers, the biggest way I should say, is his experience. Um, he was the easily the most experienced receiver that they had on that young positional group, and now he's not going to be there. So it really, really falls on Debo now guys like Debo and you can argue Dante as well although Dante may not have the 
playing experience. He still has a year on most of these guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, who steps up in that leadership role. I know Debo has talked about it throughout the offseason, that he's not really a vocal leader. He's more so uh, showing how it gets done as opposed to telling you. But he said he was going to try and, and, and take both approaches this season just to kind of be that guy that they, I think they all learned how to be when Emmanuel Sanders was in town. Now, Anthony, let me ask you this. Travis Benjamin was the first 49er, like we said, to opt out. Do you envision any other 49ers possibly opting out between now and Thursday, which is the NFL opt-out cutoff time? It's going to be tough. And to be honest, I don't think any more Niners will opt out. The only ones I could see are maybe the older veteran guys. I don't see rookies doing it. I don't see guys who are in their mid-20s doing it because at least from the social media perspective, what we've seen being posted from all the players, dude, these guys want a ball. Everyone is hungry. Everyone wants revenge after this past Super Bowl against the Chiefs. And it seems like they're just eager to play. And that goes for the rest of the league. It seems like a lot of other people are eager to play as well. Yeah, we see other guys opting out here and there, and they're kind of trickling down. But from what it felt like a few weeks ago, where it felt like half the league was going to opt out, I think the NFL and just all the players are making or taking steps to just ensure their safety, know what's going to happen, know the risks they're taking, and just making adult decisions. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the NFL for actually doing something right and handling something pretty properly. But as for the Niners, dude, um, God, off the top of my head, I don't think anyone else can opt out. Shoot. If I had to throw someone on the dartboard, maybe C.J. Beathard. Um, I don't know, though. You know, guys like him, Nick Mullins, guys who are in the middle of the depth chart or down below, you don't really hear much about. Other than that, I think they're good, dude. I I think uh, Travis Benjamin might be the only one. Let's hope he's the only one because, God forbid, if it's a George Kittle or Garoppolo or Trent Williams or anyone who else who opts out in that tier, Bosa, Ford, Armstead, whew, man, oh, man, I would be pretty worried. Yeah, I, I personally don't envision any of the big, bigger names, I should say, uh, 49ers opting out. Uh, however, there is one that I would not be surprised to see opt out, and that's linebacker Dre Greenlaw. He's actually talked about it before on, on Twitter, you know, talking about, I want to play, but I don't want to get sick. Uh, he's talked about, you know, why should he have to balance, you know, playing and, and doing his job as opposed to staying healthy and, and not getting sick. So I just feel like, if anybody were to follow Travis Benjamin and opting out, it would probably be Drake Greenlaw. And while I could understand the move and I would totally respect his choice to, to, to put his health and safety first, it would be a huge blow to this team. I mean, he showed up last season and really proved that he was one of the better linebackers, not only on the team, but I'd say in the top, you know, average to above average tier in the NFL. So the 49ers would be losing a pretty big piece with Dre Greenlaw if he chooses to opt out. Uh, now, Anthony, it was also reported that by Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport that the 49ers are bringing in uh, pass rushers Deion Jordan and Ziggy Anza. Some kind of interesting names. Deion Jordan, you know, didn't really do much. He flamed out after being, I believe, drafted third overall by the Dolphins. And Anza's more of an interesting guy because he's had some success specifically with Coach K at their time in Detroit. And then he went over to Seattle, didn't really work out. And now the 49ers are bringing them in. Uh, I believe they, they talked about where they worked him out, gave him a COVID test. However, nothing happened past that. What were your initial thoughts on that? 
I'm excited, dude. I'm excited and I'm also a little concerned, but maybe this is just me looking into social media too much. A couple of people were saying, oh, the Niners don't make these moves if they think they're going to be losing someone. And quite frankly, that part of me was like, uh-oh, is it Bosa? Is it Ford? Is it Armstead? Is it Blair? But after looking at the big picture and looking at everything going on, I don't think any of this, these guys are going to leave. The reality of it, though, is that they need depth. Whether it's Deion Jordan, whether it's Ziggy Ansah, whether it's uh, Demontre Moore, if he comes back. Who knows, dude? Who knows? It could be any of these guys. But it's the fact that the team is working within their salary cap to bring in a guy like Ansah, like Deion Jordan, who may not be at the Bosa Ford category, but we do see that they can bring a lot of upside. Yeah, Deion Jordan flamed out, but I do think he has some potential. And then, like you said too, Ziggy Ansah is very interesting, man. He had his best seasons under Chris K. And this past season, I think it was with Seattle. It didn't work out too well. But then again, nothing on that defensive Seattle line really worked. So you put Ansah into a situation with Bosa, Ford, Armstead, Blair, Javon Kenlaw too. Oh my God, I always forget about Kenlaw. And even DJ Jones if he's healthy. I think Ansa might have a career here. And the thing is, too, is you bring in these guys if you know you can afford them. You bring them in if you know that they will take some kind of pay cut if it means that they'll get their own value up. Because, let's face it, Deion Jordan and Ziggy Ansa shouldn't be worth any more than 3 or $4 million, maybe 5 And that's just more on Ziggy's side. So, these guys are going to have an opportunity to really get their value up. And right now... San Francisco should be the place to be if you're a defensive end or a defensive lineman. You should want to go, hey, I want to be here. Look what they just did this past season. Yeah, they lost Buckner, but they added Kinlaw, who might be an even better pass rusher than Buckner. So if I'm me, I want to be there. I want to be there, take a one-year contract, take a chance at being in the Super Bowl, get my value up, make money the next season. And let's face it, this year might be kind of crappy salary cap-wise for all the league, but the season after, if everything works out, I saw it was supposed to go back up to $200 million, I think, something like that. So if all that happens, if all the dominoes fall in the right place for Ziggy or for Deion Jordan, these guys could be having, you know, possibly career years. Who knows? But stepping in San Francisco for either one of them would definitely be the right situation for either or. Yeah, I, I really like, I'm intrigued by the Ziggy Anza potential, I guess, of a reunion between him and Coach K here in, in San Francisco, Santa Clara. But I'm not sure, I don't think Deion Jordan gets signed. Um, but at the same time, the expanded roster sizes, I wouldn't be too surprised if they went and head inside both of them. But I know some people are on Twitter talking about this must be an injury that we're unaware of or a guy's you know, coming back from injury that's not completely as healthy as they'd like for them to be. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this is totally a case of we are dealing with times we've never been through before with COVID being around, and we're trying to be as prepared as possible. We're trying to have as many guys in on the depth chart uh, ready to step up and, and play at, at a moment's notice if need be. And I think that's what makes this team a good team, and that's what makes this coaching staff and front office good is the fact that they really are turning over every single tone excuse me they're really not leaving any single stone unturned they're trying and doing their due diligence on every single player and it's what makes this team good because most teams some general managers they'll go out there and 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 feel confident and complacent with where they are but john lynch knows that this team can still improve and especially with times, like I've said, with COVID going on, you know, 
it would be horrible if, you know, come game day, one of the players, one of the, you know, Nick Bosa or Eric Armstead, somebody like that finds out that they were surround or around somebody that had COVID and then now suddenly they're out. What are you going to do? Now you have to suddenly have guys fill in. And best case scenario, you sign these guys, everybody remains healthy and everybody remains, you know, isolated, not around anybody with COVID. And then you got these other guys coming off the bench that could possibly be a average starters elsewhere and they're being rotational players here so it's a win-win for me um however i think it's definitely more likely that ziggy anza gets signed and uh not Dion jordan although i wouldn't be too surprised to see both of them get signed but me i'm putting my money on on ziggy um anthony we, we did see him back after he left detroit there was a lot of talk between him signing with the 49ers however he went to the Seattle Seahawks and like I said he didn't really do much over there do you think that was more on him or that was more on like you said them not really having anybody that has success rushing the passer I think it was just more on them as a whole and then again too it would have been nice if he was San Francisco because after losing Moore and then Blair and all those guys it would have been nice to have that kind of depth assuming he would have stepped up but you look at Seattle and then you look at the money he got. My best guess is that he was getting paid better by Seattle. And I'm assuming that's what he wanted on top of just Seattle being a good place to play in terms of Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and all that. So I think in a sense, maybe the Niners got kind of lucky, if they bring him in, that his value is kind of low. And let's face it, he wasn't that good in Seattle. And although none of the D-line was really that good in Seattle, if you're Ziggy Ansa, who was doing really good, and then the past couple seasons you were nagged by injuries and you've kind of slowed down, then you come into Seattle with a lot of the expectations and then you don't look good at all, it kind of helps the Niners in terms of how much they're going to sign him for, how they can work him into salary cap, and things of that nature. But as for the question, man, yeah, I think it was just Seattle as a whole. There were times in Seattle where he flashed, I think, and yeah, he may not have been what he once was with Chris K, but that could have been because Chris K was gone. And a lot of that can factor into how a player plays, how a player feels in the situation, how much effort he honestly wants to put in. And you see what Chris K does to the team. You see how he hypes up the entire D-line. He honestly hypes up the defense just like Salah. But Chris K in particular, man, he knows how to talk to his guys. He knows how to rile them up. And he just knows what to do and how to work it. And he's one of the best at his job and best at his position. So as Ziggy Ansah does come in, man, I think we'll see a significant improvement. And I mean significant compared to when he was in Seattle. Yeah, we do our Niners News YouTube show on on our YouTube channel, me and Matt Llewellyn. And I Matt broke this down for me and I thought it was kind of funny to think about. But we obviously know the Seahawks just acquired safety Jamal Adams from the Jets. However, if he was on the Seahawks last season with his numbers that he had, he would already have been the Seahawks' number one uh, pass rusher with six and a half sacks. So that's just sad. Uh, and and they had Jadavion Clowney, uh, Jaron Reed. They had some some decent names and, and big guys on that defensive line. And he would have gone in right away and had six and a half sacks. So it's definitely more Seattle's scheme uh, that didn't allow... Uh, Ziggy Anza to have any sort of big numbers uh, than than it is a testament towards Ziggy Anza not really having it anymore. However, I just think if you were to come over here, it wouldn't really be the role that the 49ers would ask of him to put up, you know, 10 sacks like he had in Detroit before he left. Um, He would more be a rotational player, like I said. But either way, I'm still very intrigued by this this possibility of having him on the team. 
But guys, with that said, we are going to be now sending it off to my interview with Mark Schofield of USA Today's uh, Touchdown Wire. I really hope you guys like it. It was a lot of great information. Uh, Mark has some very interesting stats. And make sure you stay around for the final question where he gets a little philosophical with us. <laughs> I really think you guys like it. And like I said, make sure you check us out on YouTube. Search 49ers Hive and subscribe. We do videos Monday through Friday. And we try and get an interview out every weekend. So with that said, here's the interview. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in today. I am thrilled to be joined by Mark Schofield of USA Today and Touchdown Wire. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk some 49ers. You all ready? I'm ready to go, Zach. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Excited to talk a little uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and a little 49ers today. <laughs> yeah, so let's get right into it. Uh, the 49ers acquired Jimmy Garoppolo a couple years back now. What were your thoughts on him up until that point? Um, a couple of things. I think it's fair to point out at this point, and if my accent doesn't give it away, I'm originally from the Boston area, um, so I'm a Patriots fan. And so there was a part of me that was a bit upset when this trade was made because I looked at Garoppolo as the future at, at the quarterback position for the New England Patriots. Um, but I think when you look at the acquisition, and it's important to take a step back previous to the trade itself and look at how the Patriots view the quarterback position. And prior to the draft, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, former NFL scout, he posted some notes from 1991, I believe, of Bill Belichick's scouted notes that it was a presentation that Coach Belichick gave to scouts on how to scout the various offensive positions. And when you look at Belichick's notes at the quarterback position, it gives you insight into what he values at that position. And number one is to make good decisions. You know, when you look at the rest of the traits they value, it's then arm, size, physically tough, leadership, guys look up to and have confidence in, a real competitor, but accurate rather than guy with a cannon. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. I think that's a great description of Jimmy Garoppolo, both coming out of Eastern Illinois and where he is now. You know, the Patriots and Bill Belichick stress accuracy and ball placement and decision-making at the quarterback position. They don't particularly place an emphasis on arm strength. I think that's part of the reason they coveted Jimmy Garoppolo in that draft class. And I think if you ask Kyle Shanahan about the position, you know, people that got a chance to talk to him down at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago when they drafted C.J. Beathard, accuracy and ball placement, decision-making, those are the things they value at the position. And I think that's what led them to make this trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's somebody that showed that coming out of Eastern Illinois, the decision-making, the accuracy, obviously the quick release. And these are things that he now shows uh, to this point in his career. So I think these are the things that people value in Garoppolo. I think it's a reason why, you know, he's one of the upper echelon quarterbacks in the game today. Oh boy, I'm I'm so glad you ended it with that. We'll get into that in a bit, but he gets a lot of hate online and, and on social media specifically. Um, and I mean, it's kind of you could say it's unfair because he's had you know a good amount of success early on in his career, but he's still sort of unproven. So I I, I see both sides. Um, have you when you watched him? Obviously, you said you were a Pats fan, or and you watched him get traded to the 49ers. You kind of felt kind of unsure, or you know about it. What did you think of his performance in 2017? And then how would you compare that with his performance in 2019? You know, it's it's always hard to compare one season where a team finishes six and ten and another season where a team, you know, even though they lost their final game, they lost their final game in a Super Bowl. I mean, you make a Super Bowl run, it speaks to what you've done 
or both as a team and as a quarterback, because as much as we try to avoid the QB wins argument, winning is part of the position. It's part of what's valued at the position, the leadership qualities, the competitive toughness qualities that I just mentioned with the Bill Belichick values at the position. I think it was very impressive, though, when you come in and a team's one in 10, you've just been acquired by that organization. You finally get a chance to play and you go five and oh in those games and you play at a high level. I mean, let's face it, Garoppolo during that five game stretch of wins, he played at a very high level, you know, completed 67% of his passes, seven touchdowns, five picks. You know, those are some pretty good numbers for somebody just acquired by a team that again, finished six and 10. Um, So I think that was a very impressive string of games. It certainly made Patriots fans, myself included point out to say, Hey, you know, as much as we love number 12, this kid wearing number 10 is pretty good too. Uh, and I certainly, I, I imagine most Patriots fans, you know, would like to see Jimmy Garoppolo still in Patriots blue right now, rather than Niners red and gold. Um, but look, they made the Super Bowl last year, you know, and, and say what you want about how that game ended, you know, missing Emmanuel Sanders on that overthrow. He was a big part of why they got to a Super Bowl. He was a big part of why they, you know, had the number one overall seed and had a home game in the NFC championship game. So both were very impressive runs. Uh, but it's it, it's hard to look at a season that ends with you in the Super Bowl as you know anything but a success. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate. He he played really well, you know, throughout the season. There were a couple games that stand out specifically the New Orleans game, right. uh, probably both Arizona games, arguably. Um, and he was you know three quarters of the Super Bowl playing really well. And this right. is kind of tinfoil hat conspiracy. There's me, but he likely uh, I don't know if I want to say likely he. There's a chance he was concussed, maybe. He took some really big hits yeah. in that game. There was one time where he was on the ground for like 10 seconds, and even the commentators were kind of like, uh, so, you know, moving on. But it, it was really weird, and maybe that played into his decision-making. Maybe not. Maybe as a 49ers fan, I'm trying to make excuses. Right. But it, it's unfortunate the way that things ended. Um, but you did touch on he's in the top echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL. Recently, the NFL Top 100 just came out, and he was ranked – 43rd overall and the eighth best quarterback on the list. Do you think that's too low, too high, or just about right? I mean, I think overall it's slightly too high in the sense that I think when you look at the NFL's top 100 as put together by the players, there tends to be an emphasis on the guys that touch the football. I mean, you're seeing a Kyler Murray make it into the top 100, a Josh Allen make it into the top 100. I mean, the guys that touch the football, particularly quarterbacks, seem to get bumped up these lists a little bit more. Um, And maybe that's with reason. I mean, if you're asking the players, if you're asking the peers of these athletes, you know, who are the best players in the game, you know, maybe they appreciate and understand the work that goes into playing the position a bit more than those of us on the outside. Even those like myself that study the quarterback position almost exclusively um, tend to value them. Um, So, so, so from the outside, look at it, it seems like it's a bit high, you know, but I think in terms of the position rank and having him as like the eighth best quarterback, I think there's certainly an argument to be made that he's, you know, on the cusp of that top 10, you know, maybe he's in the top 10 for some, just on the outside looking in for others, you know, but if you're the top 12, 15, 10 of quarterbacks in the league, whether it's voted on by your peers or just people, you know, analysts, that's a pretty exclusive club. I mean, we're talking about 32 people on the planet doing a job. I mean, when you get to that level of excellence, even if you're like a top 20 quarterback, it's still, a pretty impressive feat. So I, I think maybe 43rd overall in the league might be a bit too high. 
Uh, but when you get into that sort of 8, 10, 12 range, I mean, those are really quarterbacks that are sort of clustered together. Um, and I think it's about right. I always appreciate Mike Sando, who does the quarterback tiers uh, each offseason, each summer, um, as voted on by 50, you know, general managers, scouts, evaluators, and things like that. They had sort of Garoppolo and that sort of, I think, tier two. I think that's about right. I mean, they're like that top tier guys, the Mahomes, you know, the Russell Wilsons of the world, where it's like, yeah, these are the elite, best of the best. And then that next group, like the Wences, the Dax of the world, you put Jimmy, you put Kirk Carson's perhaps in there. I think that makes some sense to me. Yeah, and, and you know, hopefully he keeps improving up, but that's a really good way to put it. 32 people on the whole face of the planet right. can do this job, and he's in the top, you know, third of that. So yeah. he's doing something right, You're doing regardless something. Look, of. You don't get to be a quarterback in the National Football League if you aren't doing something right. I mean, even the guys that we might say maybe, you know, aren't the best at it, they're still better than almost everybody else alive. So the, the, they deserve some credit for just getting there. Let's put it that way. Yeah, great point. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was recently on the Chris Sims podcast, and he was talking about combining the simplicity of his father's offense, uh, along with some more complex, explosive uh, components of uh, John Gruden offense. Do you think that's kind of what makes his offensive system one of the best in the league? I think so. I think so, Zach. I think what's what's fascinating about Shanahan's offense and the 49ers offense, if you sit down and you read their playbook, if you study the Shanahan system, a lot of it isn't really new. You know, a lot of what they're running is right out of a Bill Walsh 1980s 49ers playbook. You know, it's it's West Coast stuff out of 21 personnel and kind of what's old is new again, in a sense, because we've seen this trend and football is so cyclical um, in terms of the schematics of it, you know, with teams working to a more spread offense, you know, defenses have tried to counter, they've tried to adjust. So they've gotten lighter and faster you know, the basic 3-4 versus 4-3 debate is over. You know, now the debate is 4-2-5 versus 3-3-5. How are you going to get lighter and faster to match up to the spread offenses? So what's Shanahan done? He's turned back the clock. I mean, this is a team that you look last year. No team ran 21 personnel, you know, two running backs, a tight end, two wide receivers, more than the 49ers. They ran it on 28% of their snaps last year, 312 plays. But what did they do on that? You know, they threw it a ton. They threw it 40% of the time when they did that. They had a successful pass percentage of almost 60% out of that. And Garoppolo had a quarterback rate and a passer rate of 103.3 with a yards per attempt of 9.7, which was better than his yards per attempt of 7.7 when they were in 11 personnel. So what they're doing is they're getting defenses into base, and then they've got guys like, you know, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk that are matchup problems for linebackers. And so what he's done is run a simplified 1980s West coast offense out of 21 personnel against defenses that aren't built to stop 21. They're built to stop 11. They're built to stop 10, you know, like the Arizona Cardinals, for example, you know, that's a 10 personnel offense. And so what he's done is a simplified West coast offense with matchup nightmares like Juszczyk and Kittle out of that 21 personnel package to attack base defense to get, linebackers chasing those guys where they don't have a chance. And of course, Shanahan is a very creative offensive mind, like some wrinkles like leak and throwback and things like that. There's certainly stuff that Walsh wasn't running, but you mix that in with everything else. It's tough to stop as a defense. And so he deserves a lot of credit for what he's put together, but I think that point is apt. You know, it's a simplified system out of a base personnel that defenses aren't built to stop these days. I'm so glad you brought up Kyle Juszczyk because I think that's the perfect example of turning back the clock. 
you know, I don't know. I think they were the only team in the NFL, if I remember, or two other teams or one other team that had a fullback right. on their roster. So that's just a perfect example. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, he uses a lot of versatile players. Um, how does that aid in the overall play packaging and play des- designation simplicity? Right. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating question, Zach. And it's one of the things that Shanahan does so well. You know, this is a matchup league. It's a matchup sport right now. You know, particularly it starts like so many things do on the offensive side of the ball, right? Whether it's Shanahan, Sean McVay, Josh McDaniels, those are three I think are the best offensive minds in the game right now. And there are certainly others, but those are the guys I love to study. And what they do so well is identify matchups. And then when they get advantageous matchups, they exploit them. You know, Shanahan does it with personnel, with 21 personnel. You know, Sean McVay goes the other direction. He runs almost exclusively 11, but he then runs out of 11. So you're running against the lighter packages. You know, a lot of what Josh McDaniels does, he uses pre-snap motion and shifting to get those mismatches. You know, so it puts your players in a position to be successful, right? You know, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you have incredibly talented tight end and George Kittle. You might get lazy. You know, it's easy to say, look, he's going to run away from guys, right? I could just trust him in his matchups. No, he takes it a step further and uses 21 personnel to get him matched up against linebackers because you want to put your best guys in a position to be successful. Josh McDaniels, he has arguably the best quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. He might think, oh, I'll just let Brady read defenses. No, he uses motion and shift and give Brady those pre-snap indicators, man versus zone, something Shanahan also does as well. Uh, but he gives his quarterback more information before the snap to put him in a position to be successful. And then when you get into sort of those matchups, you can then exploit them. And in terms of the versatility, when you have a fullback, like say Kyle Juszczyk, that can almost be like a tight end, you know, it allows you to shift to almost a 12 personnel package, two tight ends on the fly. And if you, you know, have a situation, a scenario where he's getting favorable matchups against inside linebackers, you cannot exploit that. Um, so versatility, you know, whether it's a guy like Kittle, a guy like Juice Check, some of the other players we're seeing, um, it, it certainly helps you um, because, you know, as defenses try to adjust, you're still a step ahead of them with a versatile player like a Kittle, like a Juice Check. So, yeah, you put these pieces together. It's tough for teams to sort of defend what the 49ers are putting on a week to week, snap to snap, drive to drive basis. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. George, uh, excuse me, Kyle Juszczyk really kind of broke the mold when it comes to fullbacks. Right. You don't see too many like him in the NFL. And I think Kyle Shanahan, they, at the time of signing him, everybody was saying, you overpaid, can't believe they paid that much for a fullback. And I, I'd make the argument they've gotten every you know penny out of their investment back because he's been a fantastic weapon for them. And I think it shows when he's on the field, they're much more dynamic and versatile right. than when he's not. And, so. and Zach, it's a, it's a copycat league, right? And so what are we seeing around the league right now? We're seeing... You know, some other teams move towards a fullback type model. The Vikings, they used the fullback at times last year. Um, the Browns, they just acquired Andy Janovich um, via the Denver Broncos to use a fullback in their offense. Obviously, Kevin Stefanski was the offensive coordinator for the Vikings last year, so that might make some sense. And look at what's happening in Green Bay, right? You're seeing Matt LaFleur, who's spent some time familiar with, you know, what they're doing, the San Francisco 49ers are, schematic, 49ers are doing schematically. Um, they draft Josh DeGuara a tight end H-back type. And when they made that pick, what was the name referenced? It was Kyle Juszczyk. And Matt LaFleur said, look, you know, we want to have a 49ers type offense and we need him to be our Kyle Juszczyk. And so, yeah, you know, like I said, football is cyclical. We're seeing some more of these teams work back to a 21 personnel model. New England as well with James Devlin before he decided to retire. 
the fullback is coming back into vogue. And if it's a, a player like Juszczyk who could be that mismatch nightmare, all the better for an offensive coordinator or a, or a head coach who's calling the plays because you get those matchups. Well, we'll have to see how many fullbacks make it back. Hopefully a lot more. I love right. the position personally. Look, It's a fun it, one to watch. It is a fun one to watch. It's a great <laughs> one to study. And, uh, Emily Van Burstyk, um Sideline SAS podcast. She has the hats, make fullbacks great again. She's got a podcast basically dedicated to the fullback, giving Emily a shout out. You can find her at MLM on Twitter. Um, but yeah, she's got a whole show dedicated to the podcast, to the position. So uh, I'm betting she wants them to come back at Vogue too. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, last question here on the 49ers offense before we move to some rapid fire, kind of more fun questions. Um, they will have Jalen Hurd and Trent Taylor, hopefully both coming back from injury. Um, they drafted Brandon Ayuk. They have Debo Samuel when he returns from injury coming into year two. Dante Pettis is also still on the roster. Kendrick Bourne, who has been a touchdown, a first down machine. Do you see their offense transitioning more from a run first offense to more of a balanced or possibly even pass first offense? I would think so, Zach. I mean, you look at last year, this was a team that, you know, ran the ball 52% of the time, just about, you know, in terms of their pass to run ratio, they were second to last in the league and, you know, passing percentage was 48% of the time they, they threw the ball. Only Baltimore was low with 45 with their sort of diverse run game that they had. I think Shanahan would like to be a bit more 60, 40, you know, that's where most teams tend to be right now. I mean, after you got, you know, Baltimore, San Francisco, Tennessee at 51, Minnesota at 51, you started getting to this 50s and upper 50s, low 60s pretty quickly. Um, more teams are in that sort of 60, 40 range. I, I think with the talent that they have at wide receiver, the diverse group of receivers they have with the things they can do schematically with those guys, it wouldn't surprise me to see them to be, you know, maybe 55, 45 this year. Um, but a lot might depend on, you know, how the games play out. And let's face it, the, the timeline we're living through right now, you know, depending on who's healthy, you know, like you said, Dante Pettis, you know, he's back, but on the reserve COVID-19 list, you know, things might play differently from week to week based on who's healthy, who's not. Some weeks you might have your receivers, some weeks you might not. Um, So a lot of it is up in the air, but I think in an ideal world from, world from Shanahan's perspective, he'd like to be more 55-45 or even 60-40 throwing a little bit more than they did last year. Yeah, certainly nothing is normal anymore. No, so I guess there's, there's going to be so many things that we're going to have to kind of have that wait and see attitude. Uh, but moving into kind of a rapid fire, you can answer these with as little or as many words as you want. Uh, is Kyle Shanahan the coolest head coach in the NFL? He's got to be at least top three, right? I mean, I look at this, I think I'll go McVay three, Shanahan two. It, it, it might pain your listeners to hear this, but Cliff Kidsbury won. And Cliff Kidsbury won this. When they showed that picture of him at his James Bond style lair before the draft with the no socks and the loafers, you got the Arizona like pad with the fire pit in the backyard. I mean, Nora Princiotti, who I think the world of, um, who now writes for the Renner, she basically said that like you have to have the next Bond film with him as Bond and then Jerry Jones as the villain with the yacht. Okay. Cause Jones was doing the draft when he was a lot, which, it's pretty cool as far as owners go. But Shanahan's top three, probably number two um, to Cliff Kingsbury, which isn't bad. But we could be honest, not a lot of cool head coaches, right? I mean, because then you had the juxtaposition of Bill Belichick, who obviously I love dearly. We went to the same college. But he's at his house in Nantucket with a you know pretty plain looking you know, dining room with his dog, Nike, sitting at the, at the laptop. 
you know, Belichick's not exactly cool. We just saw Belichick sitting on a, a, a park bench doing an ad for Subway, sucking down a, you know, a foot lawn. Not exactly cool there. But, yeah, Shanahan's, I'd say, number two to Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. And it's tough to beat that pad, man. It's tough to beat that draft site. You know, uh, alone with the name of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, that's hard to beat. It that's is like hard a super villain name. Man. It is hard to beat. We can also be <laughs> honest. All three of them. Very good-looking men. I mean, we could say that. Yeah. These are three good-looking men. So, like, kudos to all three of those guys. Yeah, I remember when Emmanuel Sanders was acquired, he, he was having a press conference, and he's like, I told my wife my head coach is wearing Yeezys. You don't yeah, see that too much. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that too much, man. Not, not from the, what we usually see from NFL head coaches. <laughs> uh, next rapid-fire question, Debo Samuel, over or under 1,000 yards receiving? I think this might come down to how a lot of his plays are designated. Because uh, he does get a lot of you know screeds, jet sweeps, things like that. I want. I'm sitting here right now, and I'll say I'll take the over on it. Uh, I think obviously with the Emmanuel Sanders, his transition to New Orleans, you know, Brandon Ayuk's dealing with an injury. I'm going to go over on this, but he might get dinged. Some of his plays might end up being technically runs. You know, if they're screens and things like that, that sometimes get designated as runs because they're behind the line of scrimmage or the backwards throws. Um, that might sort of sink into some of his yardage, but. I think ideally, in an ideal world, yeah, it's going to be the over. All right. Uh, last one. Or I have one more after this, but last football one. Uh, will Raheem Mostert kind of cement his position as the lead running back for the 49ers? I think so. And I, I want to reference a fascinating piece over at Roto World. Uh, Hayden Winks did this piece just in the last couple of days about the 49ers and how historically Kyle Shannon has handled the running back position. Because a lot of people say, oh, it's going to be a running back co- by committee. That's what Shanahan always does. And he kind of blew that myth up because he looked back historically at how he's handled the running back position. And then he made the case, look, there's a guy that fits the bill to be the bell cow back that Shanahan really hasn't had in a while. It is Raheem Mostert. And what he says is among running backs with 100 carries last year, Mostert was first in yards per carry over expected, third in pro football focus rushing grade, 30 yards after contact per attempt, third in their elusiveness rating, and fifth in break and weight percentage. Some of that will regress, but those numbers are legitimately good and are clearly on another level compared to, te- compared to Tevin Coleman. When you look at yards per carry plus minus, Mostert plus 1.5, Coleman minus 0.1. Yards after contact per carry, Mostert 3.5, Coleman 2.7. You look at so many different ways to evaluate the running back position. Raheem Mostert looks like he could be the guy. So, yeah, I, I'd say he establishes himself as the running back in that room next year. It's great to see, especially from a guy who's been cut uh, five or six times. Yeah. I forget the number, but he's having success. And that's why I was kind of so taken back by his trade request from his agent, Brett Tesla. I'm like, this is a perfect marriage right. here. Don't, I don't, think, don't mess it I up. I think a lot of that was a negotiated employee, and it seems to have worked out in his favor. But, yeah, I do think this is a great situation for him. Yeah. All right, last question for you, Mark. Is water wet? <laughs> is water wet? I think, man, you throw me back to some of my philosophy classes in high school. I think, yes, water is wet because while we may not feel it, you know, if we are standing and looking at an ocean – um, from afar, um, the granules of sand at the base of the ocean, they are wet. And we know this. We know this from experience. We don't have to touch it physically to understand that it is wet. The shells in the ocean, if you if you somehow have a shell wash ashore and pick it up, it's not technically still in the ocean, but it is wet. So, yes, water is wet. Great explanation. Thank you so much, guys. Make sure you go and follow Mark. His handle is below on the screen. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today to talk. Jimmy Garoppolo, 49ers, the whole 10 yards. I really appreciate it. 
Zach, thank you so much, man. Like I say, look, I've done a lot of shows. I've never gotten that closing question before. Kudos to you on that one. That was a good one, man. I, I did not see that coming. I had to think about it. I, like I said, look, I was uh, I was a part philosophy major in college, so that really took me back, my friend. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mark. Have a good one. You too, Zach. And now to the RGS mailbag questions. Uh, Anthony, we kind of touched on this earlier, and I think we're both in agreement agreement on this one. Uh, from Adrian Aguirre on Twitter, which edge free agent rusher do we think is the best fit for the team? I think I speak for us both. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the podcast. Uh, Ziggy Anza, am I correct? Yes, sir. I think Ziggy, uh, he's just a solid pass rusher. Yeah, he may not be one of those was, but we don't know. A guy could be 34 years old, 35 years old, like Cam Wake, and still have a really good season. And yeah, Ziggy's not that old, and yeah, he's had nagging injuries, but who knows? If he stays healthy, this dude could arguably be a double-digit sack guy. That's pushing it. I know that's pushing it. I know that's, uh, that's a lot to think about from probably a rotational guy. But hey, the, the sky is the limit, man. This guy can ball out. You never know when he can have a breakout game. And again, being on this, on this uh, defensive line, it could definitely do wonders for him. Yeah, hot take there with the double digits, but I like it. I'll take it. Uh, next, RGS mailbag question is from Rory Roberge. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Rory. Uh, who do you see as the winners and losers from signing Jordan Reed? Winners, definitely 49ers. Um, this guy's a baller. I know he's had a bad concussion history. He has a Pro Bowl, though. He's very athletic. He was only with Kyle Shanahan one season. That was in 2013, his rookie year. But it was he got like four, 45 catches, 490 yards, I think two or three touchdowns off the top of my head. But overall, dude, Jordan Reed's a baller. He's like super George Kittle light. But I think with the ball in his hands, Reed can definitely be at the level that Kittle plays at. That's not to say Reed is Kittle, but... Reed can catch a ball up the middle and turn it into 5 or 10 yards or can even turn it into a touchdown. This guy's a baller. As for the losers, I think I got two. We got the rest of the guys on the tight end chart outside the Kittle, Charlie Warner and Ross Dwelly. Both of these guys were arguably already uh, final roster guys who could make it, uh, considering that they only had three tight ends to begin it. And I guess four if you count maybe Daniel Helm, who was kind of like, Kyle Juszczyk, in a sense, he can be a fullback, he can be an inline blocker, a tight end. But overall, they added a fourth tight end. They added a real veteran presence who knows what it's like to go out there and ball and who knows what it's like to deal with Washington, just like Shanahan did. So having Reed overall, it's nice. It definitely hurts Warner and Dwelly. Arguably, I we can save this for another podcast, but between the two getting cut, Shoot, it could be Warner going to the Pete squad and they hold on to Dwelly, but who knows? Who knows? That's way later down the road. And the second loser out of the whole thing, definitely the rest of the NFC West, dude. Yeah, the Cardinals drafted uh, Isaiah Sammons, who's supposed to be after Kittle, but I'm sure he'll be on Jordan Reed as well and the other tight ends. Um, who else? Seattle, they drafted that linebacker in the first round. I think Jordan Brown, another guy who's pretty solid as a run stuffer, a decent coverage. But, hey, you go after linebackers if it means you can stop Kittle and now Jordan Reed. So, overall, I think Shanahan made the right move to get Reed. It's a very fail-safe pick. I hear the deal is very incentive-heavy. Incentive-heavy? Shoot. I got to go back to school, bro. I miss school. But the point being, though, is you get Jordan Reed. He can affect the offense. Very high ceiling, very low floor, I think. 
Um, the guy can get the job done, and he may not bring a totally new element to the offense, but in a sense, I think it just gives you another sure-handed guy, assuming he doesn't get concussed. For me, uh, the, the winners and losers of Jordan Reed, winner, Jimmy Garoppolo, short and simple. If this pans out, Jimmy Garoppolo will have a an elite tight end and a good to very good tight end when healthy. Uh, Clinton Portis said he was talking to, I believe, 95.7 or 97.5, one of the two, and he was talking about if this you know version of the offense does work, the 49ers might have the best tight end duo in history. And I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not going to go that far. But I think they'll have one of the best in the NFL currently. Um, Tampa really has a good one, although O.J. Howard hasn't really panned out so far. But the potential's there. So I'm, I'm looking at that same potential-wise, and I think they could have a very, very good tight end duo and possibly trio, depending on Ross Dwelly, how that pans out. And the the losers, this might be a little bad taste for me, but I'm going to say Jordan Reed himself. His health, man. The guy had, what, seven concussions, I believe, that he, that he that are known? And he, you know, sat out all last year because of a concussion. And we talked about this. Uh, on our Niners news with Matt, if Washington is sitting you out, something's bad. That's all I'm going to say. This is the same team that trotted uh, Trent Williams out there when he had cancer. So if Washington is sitting you out, man, you, you might something might be going on. So that's all I'm going to say. But hopefully he's fully healthy and hopefully no further injuries happen to this man because he has been through the ringer and that is for sure. Uh, next... RGS mailbag question. Uh, this is from Ray Black the Great on Twitter. Where do you see the Niners keeping the most depth due to the pandemic uncertainty? Simply put, dude, defensive line. I mean, that's where the most contact is. Offensive linemen and defensive linemen going head-to-head, touching hands, uh, pushing each other, pulling each other, grabbing and clawing, scratching and bumping and... It's just the most contact part of the game, even more so than the tackling, even more so than the guys touching the same football over and over again, or even if they rotate football, so they're all still touching it. It's all the same thing. Yeah, so it's kind of a two-parter, I guess, but offensive line and defensive line hand-in-hand for the Niners. Again, there's a lot of contact. We don't know how this COVID thing is going to go on once football season starts. We have to see, obviously, after first game or obviously when training camp kind of passes by and see how it goes from there. But, man, in my opinion, offensive line and defensive line. The trenches are a good answer strictly because of the contact and how physical they have to play. Um, uh, For the sake of conversation, I'm going to go with wide receivers. I think normally, you know, they would only carry maybe two-thirds of what they're going to carry this year, especially due to the expanded roster size. Uh, I could see them going into camp with, almost all the receivers they have on right now, give or take a couple for the practice squad. But normally you're getting into this time of the year, you're talking about ca- uh, cap casualties, guys that just aren't going to make it, trade possibilities. I think the 49ers and other teams in the NFL are going to be holding on to a lot more this year, strictly due to the fact that they're unsure. And we saw what happened last season, the Seahawks game in week 10, I believe it was, uh, where the Monday Night Football where the receivers were injured, George Kittle was out, and they looked horrible for the most part. The receivers specifically, they couldn't catch anything. Nobody could get anything going. 
So I think the 49ers learn their lesson and they will keep as many receivers as possible. Um, obviously nothing outrageous, but they'll keep a good amount more than last season, uh, strictly due to the fact that they don't want to be caught with their pants down at the position again. All right, Anthony, last question on our RGS mailbag. This is from Blake Souza, I believe I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, do you think the 49ers can make a deal behind the scenes that prompts a 49er to sit out the season due to coronavirus just to free up space to sign Kittle based on the new announcement of that money coming off the books for this year? Okay, this is a really good question, kind of a lot to take in. But I think, honestly, looking back at this whole pod and looking at what you're talking about, Ziggy Anson, Dion Jordan, you never know. I don't want it to happen. Maybe you could, maybe you won't. Like we just talked about with the offensive line, defensive line, touching each other, contacting COVID possibly. I think that you go after like a guy for, or excuse me, Dion Jordan and Ziggy Anson, either or. Not just for depth, but maybe just in the case that one of those guys sits out in particular, the guys who are making a lot of money, Armstead, Ford, and even Nick Bosa, if one of them sits out, that's a lot of money that comes off the books for the Niners, and that frees up a lot of salary cap to bring on Kittle and pay him the money he deserves. I'm honestly hoping that signing Jordan or Ansah does not mean something like that happens. I just hope it's just for depth. But if that's the case, we see how much money D Ford makes. We see how much money Armstead's going to make. And I think Bosa still has a really expensive rookie contract. So, uh, yeah, it could possibly one of them sitting out. And if that's the case, it's going to suck. But, hey, the Niners will save a lot of money onto their salary cap. And they'll just give them the opportunity to sign George Kittle. So if I'm understanding this question correctly, Blake is pretty much asking, what are the chances of the 49ers having kind of a, a behind-the-scenes agreement with the player so that they'll sit out this season, that then their cap space would be freed up and they would be able to use that money to sign George Kittle? Um, I'm not sure how that would happen. Uh, I, I don't think that the 49ers would go that route I think based off of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's recent press conference they didn't seem too concerned about it they sounded like things were going to get done uh and and, you know it'll get to it pretty much when it happens but they didn't seem like they were freaking out or pressed about it not that I don't think that they would show that even if they were but just the way that they were talking about it it kind of seems like look we know this is going to get done we're not going to let this man leave the building we're going to do whatever it takes. But at the same time, it did seem a little bit that like, they were like, you know, George, you need to kind of come back down to earth here and work with us. I've seen reports that, you know, his camp is thinking as much as 17, 18 million per year. I I don't think that's in the realm of possibility at all. George Kittle is not your average tight end. That's true. But even at 14 per year, you're saying he's what 140% better than the next tight end below him which is you know probably true maybe even a little more you can go up to 15 16 i just i think 17 and up is way out of the question from what some reports we've seen um so blake i don't think that the 49ers would do that but it's certainly a cool thought exercise to have and and you know maybe they could kind of have some backdoor agreement with the player to sit out for the cap space and then sign george kittle with it but i think the deal will happen the 49ers are probably just trying to get some more loose ends tied up so they know for sure exactly uh, what they're working with going into the season. 
Thank you so much, guys, for sending in your RGS mailbag questions uh, for the future. Tweet them at us, RGS Pod on Twitter, uh, for your chance to be featured on the podcast. Thanks to all those who submitted questions, and we hope you guys liked our answers. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast here on 49ers Hive. I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Uh, I hope you guys like what Mark Schofield had to say. Like I said, he was a fantastic guest. Kudos to Mark for coming on. That was awesome. We really appreciate it. And guys, if you like what you hear, the best way you can help us out is leave a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening to. Uh, If they allow reviews, please, please do so. It helps us more than you know. Uh, And you can follow 49ers Hive at 49ers Hive on Twitter and Instagram. And search us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. We are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. And also, you can follow RGS Pod on Twitter. And that's where we put out all of the podcasts. We take mailbag questions and we'll get them out to you from there. So make sure you go follow us at RGS Pod. And you can follow me personally at Zach Hernan. Anthony, why don't you close us out? Let the folks know where to find us. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Zach, another great interview with Mark Schofield. Just another good interview in general. But as always, guys, follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. And just like Zach said, follow the Twitter, 49ers Hive, all together. And help us get to 1K subs, man. It, uh, it makes a big deal. It makes a big difference for all of us moving forward. Just like a five-star review, leaving it on the pod, no matter what you guys listen to. Even if you guys can't leave reviews, drop us a like on Twitter, drop a retweet, leave a comment. Let us know how it is. We love doing these. We love getting your feedback. And we, just lo- we love doing the best job we can possibly do. Thanks, guys.